What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. suppose we ought to address the event in Spain that took place today. Another tragic attack from the Star Tribune. A van veered into a promenade and barreled down the busy walkway in central Barcelona on Thursday, swerving back and forth as it mowed down pedestrians and turned a picturesque tourist destination into a bloody killing zone. Thirteen people were killed and 100 were injured, 15 of them seriously, in what authorities called a terror attack. The late afternoon attack in the city's uh, Las Rambalas district left victims sprawled in the historic street, spattered with blood or writhing in pain from broken limbs. Others were ushered inside shops by officers with their guns drawn or fled in panic, screaming and carrying young children in their arms. It was clearly a terror attack intended to kill as many as possible, uh, a senior police official for Spain's Catalonia region told reporters late Thursday. The Islamic State group claimed responsibility saying in a statement on its uh, news agency that the attack was carried out by soldiers of the Islamic State in response to the extremist group's calls for followers to target countries participating in the coalition trying to drive it from Syria and Iraq. Closing argument, my name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, com, and your iHeartRadio app. Two ways to stream us. We're here 9 to 11 weeknights. Appreciate you joining us. You can catch up on the podcast right there in your iHeartRadio app. Just do a search for Closing Argument, and you'll go right to our channel where you can catch up on the shows we've been producing. Brad Omlin's the one who does that for us. You can call us at 651-989-5855. We don't know a whole lot about this attack in Spain as of yet for certain, and, of course, more details will likely come out as time uh, ticks by, but what I what does occur to me, just as I read the the cursory facts of the story, is that the the Islamic State claiming responsibility for an action like this serves as an example of a a real threat, a real and genuine threat to the rights of individuals. Obviously, right? Clearly, you're dealing with an organization whose intent is to cause harm to other human beings. And that is the standard by which we are able to properly morally condemn them, right? Right? I have to ask the question. And the reason why I have to ask the question is because in the aftermath of Charlottesville, it has suddenly become obscure. It has suddenly become uncertain as to whether or not we are all universally on the same page regarding violence as an unacceptable form of human interaction. You know, I started out the hour last hour, and we had Dan McGrath with us from the Minnesota Voters Alliance to discuss uh, their efforts to pursue election integrity here in the state of Minnesota, and we spent the the 9 o'clock hour talking about that, but I prefaced it with my sense of 
the mood right now. And one of the things that's affecting my mood to the negative is a profound disappointment. You know, it's funny. I, I often get accused of being cynical. I'm really not. I'm actually a fairly optimistic guy uh, who, who believes in the potential of humanity based upon not just hopes and dreams and unicorn dust, but our past, our history, the things we have accomplished, the things we have achieved, chief among them, this civilization, this country, the pinnacle of Western achievement, made so by our recognition and allegiance to the principle of individual rights, the idea that anyone of any color, creed, background, national origin, properly ought to be in full ownership of their life and able to pursue their values as they define them. That is, that is something worth celebrating. That is, that is the cause. That idea is the reason why my heart swells with pride when I stand up as the national anthem is played or, or when I say the Pledge of Allegiance before the city council meeting or whatever the context may be. Th that is something worth being proud of. And yet, we, we seem to be at a moment in history whereby there is no longer universal agreement that that's the way things ought to be. We seem to be moving towards a politics of absolutism. It's really a backslide. It, it, it's, a, it's a total backslide into, quite literally, the dark age. And it's forwarded by two different forces, which only appear to be different, but are in actuality one and the same, two sides of the same coin. And we see them exemplified, we saw them exemplified in Charlottesville in the form of the alt-right, the vicious, rebranded white nationalists who spew vile hatred, and Antifa and the hard left, who both of whom want to engage in revolution to different ends, but both of their ends include the destruction of what I just talked about, the destruction of the pinnacle of Western civilization and a regression back to something that was less civil, less free, and much more tyrannical. They both want that. And in service of that goal, both of them, to varying extents, are willing to employ any means necessary up to and including physical violence. Physical violence like the ramming of a van into a crowd of people in Barcelona, Spain. In other words, they have adopted the same methodology as the Islamic State, right? Why, why is it, on what basis do we condemn ISIS? On what basis? It, it occurs to me, and, and I never thought I was going to have to articulate it because I thought it went without saying, that the reason why we oppose ISIS is because they have a articulated, actionable desire that they intend to pursue to harm us, to engage in violence, to destroy us, to destroy our civilization, right? That's why they're bad. Now, the, the root issue there is violence. And yet, today, this week, Throughout my social media feed, I see left and right examples of people who, people who I know personally, and, and I'm particularly focused on my Democratic friends right now, people who I know personally and who know me personally, who know my story, who know my background, who know that I am the product of and a partner in interracial marriage, that my dad was black, that my mom's white, 
that my kids are, bi- are multiracial, who know the stand that I took last year against the candidacy of Donald Trump, based in large part by his willingness to play footsie with the alt-right. The fact that I was writing about the alt-right before people even knew what it was. I was posting articles to PJ Media entitled, The Alt-Right, An Evil Which Must Be Opposed, before anybody knew what that meant. And, and today, this week, I'm getting, from, the, from those people who know that that's my background, I'm getting the accusation of being a member of the alt-right or being a sympathizer with Nazis, with people who, and, and just let's, let's reflect upon how absurd this is. The alt-right, Richard Spencer, Jared Taylor, these folks, they regard somebody like me, a mongrel, right? Somebody like me and my children as a literal attack upon the identity and integrity of the United States of America. Because their worldview is such that they define the American culture by the white race. That's how idiotic they are. That's how immoral they are, how evil they are. And so fundamentally, like I have no choice. These people are opposed to my existence literally, right? So I have to oppose them. It's an existential threat. Their ideas are an existential threat to me and to my family, to my children, right? So clearly I'm opposed to them. And there are a lot of Democrats who know me, who know this about me, and yet have the audacity to suggest that because I say we ought to draw the line at violence, that you can protest to your heart's content, you can speak out to your heart's content, you can condemn and disown and disavow as much as you want. You can articulate your ideas, you can reason, you can persuade, but you don't get to punch people. You don't get to club people. You don't get to shoot somebody. You don't get to run them over with a car. You don't get to violate their rights. This has suddenly become a controversial position that if you take it, if you believe that violence is not an appropriate means of engaging with your fellow human beings, you have somehow magically become a Nazi. That is the literal position of the left. You can go on your social media feed right now on Facebook and Twitter and see it everywhere, everywhere. If you condemn violence on its face, violence as such, violence universally, no matter who is engaging in it, you are just as bad as Richard Spencer. You are just as bad as the alt-right. You are just as bad as Richard Taylor. You are, the, you are morally in the same category as somebody who believes that black people are of lesser value than whites. That is the actual argument being forwarded by people in high, not fringe people, not people on the edges of the Democratic Party, but people in positions of extraordinary influence, including elected officials, current and former party members, activists, lobbyists, and again, you know, I could name names. You would, you would know who these people are. You know, you know I, I don't need to name names. You can go see because they're not trying to hide it. They're prominently displaying their, their disregard for all reason and their embrace of violence as a means by which to pursue their political and cultural agenda. And they're quite conscientious about it. Let me give you a couple of examples. These, these are a couple of Facebook posts that came across my feed today. This one was not public, so I'm not going to disclose who it was. 
But this is what the individual had to say. Quote, this has been a hard week, but at least it's useful to know who wants to punch Nazis and who wants to cradle a punched Nazi and whisper, there, there, buddy, you're a fine person. Unquote. The implication being, I mean, notice there, that wanting to punch Nazis is offered as a virtue, right? Like, clearly, in, in this individual's view, that's the side of righteousness. That's the side of good. Being willing to engage in violence to demonstrate a political point. And when you push back on this, when you say, look, that's, this is not acceptable. We, in a free society, in the United States of America, we do not engage in our political contests through the use of force. That's why we have a constitution. It's why we have a democratic process. It's why we have elections. So we can have a, I'm old enough to remember back in November, back in October, when there was this big to-do about the peaceful transition of power. And, and the left and the Democrats were so concerned about Donald Trump potentially losing and then making a big deal out of the results and, and refusing to accept them and inciting his side to violence as a result. Boy, have times changed, right? Now, suddenly, the exact opposite is true. The exact opposite is true. Trump won, Hillary lost, they refused to accept the outcome and are actively advocating for violence in order to advance their cause. Hypocrite doesn't even begin to cover it. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name's Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, Talk.com. Our producer, Brad Omlin, just brought up a fantastic point in regards to the the aftermath, which is going to continue. It's it's not going away anytime soon because we've got legal cases that are going to emerge, that have emerged. We've got a criminal case involving the individual who plowed his car into a group of counter-protesters in Charlottesville, killing one woman and injuring others. This is going to be in the news for quite some time. Uh, and, and the point that Brad raises is how is the culture going to react to the lawyer who chooses to represent or is assigned to represent the guy who drove that car. And it reminds me of, you know, right now I find myself re-watching, you know, as I do every couple of years or so, the HBO uh, miniseries John Adams, um, which is a profoundly entertaining uh, show, um, regardless of its historical accuracy. I actually tend to think that it's, it's fairly accurate in terms of, at the very least, its historical beats that it portrays. One of those beats, in fact, the first one, is when John Adams was called upon to, as a lawyer to defend in court, in a British colonial court, soldiers who had fired into a crowd in Boston, right? And, you know, he, he wasn't beloved for taking that action, but he did it anyway. Why? Because he believed in their right, in the rights of those soldiers to be represented, to be defended in a court of law and for the case to be adjudicated under the rule of law. That is what we used to call a principled stance. We, we don't tend to have those anymore. Certainly not in this particular moment, which is a defining moment. Make no mistake. I have a, I have a sense, and it's difficult when you're in the midst of a particular moment in history 
to have an accurate sense of just how significant it's going to be in terms of how history looks back upon it. But I have a very strong sense in the here and now that this thing in Charlottesville, not the, the incident itself, which, you know, all told w- was fairly insignificant in terms of the number of people that it actually impacted. But what it sets it off, the catalyst that it has, has served as in our culture, in our discourse, that this is going to be noted as a turning point past which lines were drawn in the sand in our culture between two sides. And I don't think the sides are Republican and Democrat. I don't think the sides are conservative and liberal. I think the sides are people who who are like John Adams, people who adhere to principle and reason and believe in the rule of law and the principle of individual rights and people who don't. And I fear that the latter crowd has more members than the former. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, 651-989-5855 to join us. Let's go to the phones. Jeremy in Anoka, welcome to the program. Hey, great uh, great program tonight. And you've been sort of um, touching on a bunch of different aspects of this. And you just summed it up right there. The, it's, I don't think it's Democrat or Republican or young and old or anything like that. I think it, what it comes down to is people willing to take the time to reasonably discuss what is happening and other ones who just kind of remind me of, I'm going to go way back to a Seinfeld episode where <laughs> Jerry is upset with his dentist for making dentist jokes. And Kramer says, you're a rabid anti-dentite and just, just lays into them, doesn't even think of anything. If you're not 100% saying Nazis are bad, anybody right. who right. says otherwise is a Nazi themselves or a sympathizer and this and that, then it's, it's like this. They're abandoning reason and just going with this like emotional tidal wave that especially on social media, people are just getting swept up in. I think, I think there's a lot of that. I actually at this point – because of what I've talked about in terms of the people who I know personally who are engaging in this rhetoric and the way and what I know of them and and this is the and the fact that I actually deem them to be intelligent people in other words I credit them with the capacity to understand reality to understand the truth behind what they are doing which indicts them as morally reprehensible for making the conscientious choice to engage in rhetoric that is divisive and irresponsible and inaccurate and to tar and feather the vast majority of Americans, right, who I I would like to think the vast majority of us still agree that we don't settle our disputes with fisticuffs, right? We don't settle our our disputes with pistols at dawn. That's not a, a controversial, or at least it wasn't until about five days ago, a controversial position. And yet to articulating that position in the aftermath of Charlottesville is to declare yourself a Nazi to these people. Yes. And that's, what's frustrating. And, you know, I'm on social media here and there, you know, whatever, Twitter, Facebook, whatever. And I don't have a lot of friends or contacts. Part of that, I've just had to whittle it down through the years. The, The thing that gets me is even in the threads where there does seem to be some sort of discourse, if, if someone is not doesn't come out right off the top and just say 100 percent, 
I hate Nazis and I hate this and I hate that, then immediately they're jumped on. Now, look, I, I, I hate Nazis too. Right, right. I, I hate Nazis just as much as the next guy. Well, how, me, how, at, how, I, how long is the list of things that we have to disclaim any time right. we find ourselves in front of a camera or a microphone? You know, how, how many minutes do I need to take to go through the, the annals of history and condemn all forms of evil before I can be presumed to be a decent human being? But let me right, exactly. And let me tell you, you brought up a point about 20 minutes ago where you said said something about uh, ISIS. Look, I hate Nazis for pretty much the same reason that I don't really like ISIS that much. Mm-hmm. It's because the way that they're trying to gain their power seems to be focused more towards violent action. Right. And I, I'm glad that you pointed out a, 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 a few shows ago that there's a difference between thought and action. There's right. a difference between words and action. Yep. And I like to think that in this country, you're allowed to have thoughts and you're allowed to even speak those thoughts. Mm-hmm. But once it crosses over into some sort of action that infringes on somebody else, yep. then there's a problem. Now, in a real world, down in the trenches, when you're out in the streets and there's a protest and a counter-protest, then a counter-counter-protest or whatever, and you get face-to-face with someone that you don't like and you're both saying words at each other that you don't like, I, I think <laughs> that's the true test. People need to just... Peep, Gosh, I don't know. Well, you're I mean, scream at someone in their face, and they're going to scream back at you. Sure, sure. I, you're going into that situation. But, gee whiz, but, man, <laughs> we, it, I, it, it used to go without saying. Again, you know, up to five days ago, it used to go without saying that even in that context, you don't get to throw the punch. Certainly exactly. not, not without legal consequence. Certainly not without moral sanction. And this is the thing that disturbs me most of all. I appreciate your calling, Jeremy, as sure. always. The the thing that disturbs me most of all is the prioritization of racism and white supremacy above, as a concern above and beyond whether or not we ought to assault each other. In other words, I'm trying to get to what I hold to be the point, which is we don't get to assault each other. That's my bottom line. You don't get to punch me. I don't get to punch you. We don't get to invade each other's space. We don't get to, us, to to engage in violence as a means of political protest. That's where I'm coming from. I'd like to think it's pretty non-controversial, fairly rational, and well-established through years of Western civilization, right? And yet, that notion and the importance of it, the, the inviolability of it, is set on the back burner. Not even on the back burner. It's castigated as inappropriate to bring up because we need to worry about racism, which, as Jeremy points out, is just an idea. It's just an idea. That crazy guy, you know, in in the in holding a torch in a park downtown, screaming insane, nonsensical, irrational things about people of color, has has done nothing to you whatsoever. And if he did, he would immediately be arrested because we have laws against assault, right? And we have people whose job it is to enforce those laws. The idea that our only option is to take to the streets with bats and clubs and punch Nazis and do something about it and demonstrate that that it's unacceptable is to pretend that we live in a condition of anarchy. 
if you need to arrest the Nazis because the Nazis are violating people's rights, you call the cops. It's, it's extraordinarily bizarre to me that liberals who, if, this, if, this, if the situation was you're in your house and somebody is invading your house and you pull out your gun and shoot that person in your own home without first making some effort to retreat, these same people who, who would be on you saying that that was inappropriate, that, that you're a, a gun-toting maniac who ought to be prosecuted and put in jail for defending your own house and your own family— but turn around and advocate for leaving your house, conscientiously going to the public square, specifically to beat people up. The level of not just insanity, but immorality and profound evil on display here by the left needs to be called out wide and far. Terry, we'll get to you when we return. 651-989-5855. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com. Let's get right to your calls tonight on Closing Argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM. Catch us streaming at TwinCitiesNewsTalk.com and on your iHeartRadio device where you can also catch up with our podcasts 651-989-5855, the number to join us. Brad Omlin taking those calls. Let's go to Terry in Blaine. Thanks for holding, and welcome to the program. Oh, well, I think we're witnessing an unprecedented level of hypocrisy by the news agency. Um, I don't see any real difference between them and Pravda, you know, Soviet news propaganda agency from the 70s. I don't see any real difference there. They refuse to cover... Uh, the left-wing violence, uh, particularly Antifa. Mm -hmm. And um, when I think about it, there wasn't any real right-wing violence until after the violence directed at people at Trump rallies by Antifa and their pals. But they just refused to cover that. It's like it doesn't exist, or it's okay. Right, right. Well— and and that you're you're on to something. Now I want to be I want to be careful here because the the fact of the matter is that you know, you, and you know apparently apparently saying what I'm about to say is tantamount to endorsing Nazism, but there is in fact blame on both sides. These groups have yeah, a this is a fact. Yeah, they, they have a symbiotic relationship. They actually, and I believe they're conscientious of it. They benefit from the existence of each other. They are each other's best recruiting mechanism. They point at each other as justification for not only the things they do, but also as part of their effort to recruit and part of their effort to activate. And what you see happening right now this week from the, the response from, from folks throughout the Democratic Party establishment is a conscientious effort to fuel that fire. To, and it is the fueling of a fire that is going to lead to further violence. But— they, no they're, yeah, and their calculation is, yeah, but we might win in 2018. We might win in 2020. And they're willing to sacrifice the, the peace, security, and prosperity of this country for a shot at regaining political power. That is the definition of evil. That, in and of itself, has more in common with Nazis than yep. anything I'm saying or anything that you're saying. Exactly. It's, it's, it's unbelievable. I appreciate your call, Terry. Let's go to Brett in St. Paul. Welcome to the program. Yeah, hi. Uh, 
I want to get your opinion on something. Uh, can you hear me? Yep. So I was I was listening on the radio about this pastor in New York who was so offended that uh, that Robert E. Lee, I think it was, that planted a tree mm-hmm. in front of his, char- his church, so he tore it down. Here's my question to you, because this thing grieves me to the core as a conservative conservative Christian. When you start tearing down symbols, no matter who the victor is, no matter what it is, you're tearing down objective memorials to a bygone era. Mm-hmm. And when there will be a day, you can mark my words, people are going to say, slavery, there's, there's, no, there's no vestiges of memorial to show for it. It's just your opinion. You slavery think, deniers. Do you think that's a possibility? I haven't put a lot of thought into it, but I don't think your proposal or the, or the idea is outlandish by any stretch of the imagination. Indeed, it, monuments to the past are, are the primary means by which we, we discover our history. I know, I know for a fact, as a Christian, you know, I, have, I actually have friends that are Satanists. The pentagram is an offense to me. Right. Uh, I don't tell people that uh, you can re- you you can't ridicule my faith right. or anything like that. The pentagram is the archenemy of God, mm-hmm. a symbol of the archenemy of God. Mm-hmm. But but I don't tell people that they can't because it's a pointer to my conscience, to my faith that evil exists. Mm. And I look at these you know monuments as defeated individuals, but it's a marker of the past. Mm-hmm. And it's saying that this, 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 this issue, slavery, mm-hmm. had happened at a given time in history. Now right. you remove those, and you remove all vestiges of that. Right. The day will come, history points it out, the day will come where people are going to say, slavery, just your opinion. It never happened. There's nothing there. The only reason why... The only reason why we know that we know that World War II happened, that that, that Jews and others were, you know, gassed and all that are in, in the gas chambers is because of memorials like Auschwitz and so forth and people that are alive to do that. Mm-hmm. But there will be a day when those are removed that that will be that will be. It, uh, does that make sense? I'm, I'm, like I say, it's it's not an idea that I'm willing to dismiss out of hand. I, I appreciate you sharing it with us tonight, Brett. I appreciate you listening to the program. I like the things I've been hearing from Ben Shapiro on this issue, which, you know, he's had the audacity to actually engage in a presentation of the of the contrasting intellectual arguments for and against maintaining these Confederate monuments. And he sees both sides, and so do I. And uh, one of the things that Shapiro said on his podcast that I believe he posted today was that he, he, he pointed out that when we erect a monument to a person, for instance, right, like the example that he used was Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. When you put up the monument to Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., that is not a sanction of everything that, that MLK ever did or said. It's not a sanction of, for instance, his philandering and cheating on his wife, right? That's not why we built the monument. We built the monument in order to 
pay homage to a particular set of ideas and a life that was spent pursuing those ideas and advocating for those ideas. And the same can be said of figures like Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, anybody who we have chosen to erect monuments to. It's not an endorsement of everything that they ever did from the moment they were born into the moment they passed away. It, it is a callback and a reminder to, and in some cases an homage to, certain aspects of their lives that we found worthwhile, that we found uh, worth preserving the memory of. And, and for, that is the reason why we have these monuments. And the idea that if somebody who has a statue in the public square ever did anything wrong, we have to tear the statue down, there aren't going to be any statues left. Okay? There aren't going to be any statues left because there is none pure among us. There is none without sin. None of us have the proper moral claim to cast the first stone. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson, Twin Cities News Talk, AM 1130, 103.5 FM, So there is a ray of hope. There is a ray of hope in this whole thing that involves where the rest of us are at. Because right now, you know, the spotlight in our public discourse, in the media, the spotlight does not get cast on the most sober, rational, stable, intellectual voices in our society, right? Like that's not the person who gets who gets brought to the head of the line to comment on the news of the day. In order to get clicks, in order to get views, in order to attract ratings, they go out and they find the most provocative, the most offensive, the most extreme advocates for one given side of a cause or the other to come out and deliver the headline-grabbing quote, right? But that's not where the rest of us live. That's not where the overwhelming majority of Americans operate. The rest of us, regardless of the nature and intensity of our political beliefs, live in this world where we generally agree that civilization's a good thing. Civilization, the prerequisite of which is acting in a civilized manner. There's an example of this coming from a surprising source that provides us with a ray of hope. The South Carolina Secessionist Party, which is a group of, I presume to be, white nationalists, and the Charleston Black Nationalist Movement, which, as the name indicates, certainly involves black nationalists, held a news conference in North Charleston Tuesday afternoon earlier this week. The briefing was in reference to a new plan of action to prevent a repeat of the events that took place in Charlottesville, Virginia, and Charleston, South Carolina. I want to play for you a clip of the, the representative of the Charleston Black Nationalist Movement speaking at this joint press conference with the white South Carolina Secessionist Party. Me and these young men and women, we're always in the streets, very visible. These men are always in the streets. They are very visible. And we know that if something ever happens to me or something ever happens to him or one of them, we know that that is going to be the tipping point in this city, whether it's the city of Charleston or the city of North Charleston. So... You know, what we want to do is open up a dialogue that is fruitful, 
You know, we're not going to agree on a lot of things. Like I said, I am one that I don't care about the statue. I want to see the statues down. The statue, to me, represents slavery, oppression. It, it, it stands for everything that I'm against. However, there is an opposite understanding of that statue that he is going to explain. And what we want to do is at least be able to open up an intelligent dialogue to where we can have people that actually sit down and be able to reason and understand where he's coming from and we're coming from and they're coming from. We want to open up a world to where we can say, okay, let's reason and think about each other's position and we can educate each other on what we believe and then the people can choose and decide what they want to do with the information that's provided to them. And that's ultimately the message that we want to send. So we have agreed that we will abstain from any sort of aggression or violence on one another. And we understand also that there is a mechanism of self-defense. So if anybody infringes on these men, they have a right to defend themselves. Just like we have a right to defend ourselves, we all have a right to defend ourselves. So when you begin to trespass on somebody and they're peacefully protesting and you infringe upon their right, then just keep in mind that you are putting yourself in a situation to where the Second Amendment and self-defense can be used against you. So we want, we want everybody to take that into mind when we move forward. Like I said, we will continue to speak out. We will continue to go to legislators and speak our peace. They will continue to do what they do. Nobody is compromising their belief system. What I believe, I'm going to believe before I got here and before and when I leave here, I'm still going to believe what I believe. And he's going to believe what he believes. But what we want to do is show that we can have intelligent discourse amongst each other without violence, without bloodshed, and without the things that can happen to... We don't want to see nobody die. We don't want to see nobody killed. And that's the mentality that we have today, and that's the message that we want to send. We want to be responsible with our rhetoric, because we know that the rhetoric that we use has the ability to incite and inflame the minds and the thought process of people to make them do things that they probably wouldn't have done if they weren't emotionally sparked by words that made them reach out and do something that they normally wouldn't do. That is a representative of the Charleston Black Nationalist Movement. With a joint press conference standing alongside in common cause, in solidarity against violence with the South Carolina secessionist party that is constituted of white nationalists. A black nationalist and a white nationalist standing together against violence. That sounds to me like a headline. And yet, I, I, I'm actively looking at Politico, FoxNews.com, The Star Tribune, Drudge Report. There is no mention of this whatsoever anywhere. Folks, what what that man, I don't agree with that man's black nationalism, right? And I don't agree with the other guy's white nationalism. But where I, where I do agree with both of them is that we engage in civil discourse in this country that does not involve violence. And that is where the overwhelming vast majority of us are, are, are at. 
And there is an economic and political interest in people in the media and in these political parties in order to drive us against each other, to put us at each other's throats in order to gain clicks, views, and votes. It's reprehensible. That is the real threat. And we need to rise up together against that and denounce it and fight against it and make consumer choices that change the course of American culture. Closing argument. My name is Walter Hudson. Thanks for listening.